Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we ask as you have promised to be present with us in every way, so open our hearts and our minds to hear your word, to hear your word of law and your wonderful promise of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Share with you the uh, words of uh, the, one of the last verses of our scripture from John. And it's where Jesus is speaking and he says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This is the word of the Lord. So we have what's called Trinity Sunday, and it's at least one day out of the church year that we do intentionally ponder upon the mystery of how God has revealed himself to us. Three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. Each person fully and completely God, but not three gods. Trust me, you can't figure it out. And when you think you've got it figured out, watch out, you might be in some heresy that the church has already spoken against decades, centuries, millennia ago. So if something doesn't make sense, understand it, it could be the fault of the messenger, could be our own faulty hearing, but at the same time, it could be because God ultimately doesn't make sense to us and how we can try to comprehend who he is. But the scripture readings for today really even more on the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God. And the reading from Proverbs chapter 8 could sometimes be referred to, there's a figure of speech type language that is being used here, and it would be fair to say that this is wisdom personified. And so, I'd share with you again these words from Proverbs where it says this, does not wisdom call? And then when we skip down to these other words, this is now wisdom speaking, and the he is talking about God the Father. Wisdom calls, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. Like I said, wisdom has taken on a personhood. We actually see something similar happen in the Gospel of John, where John uses similar type personification right at the beginning of his Gospel in chapter 1. Recalling the creation, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. It's like he's using wisdom personified. 
or pardon, word personified. And so you put those two together, and again, this is how we look at scriptures and allow all of the scriptures to interpret each other, for it is all God's inspired, inerrant word. Now, John removes any doubt of who this word is. And in fact, these words, believe it or not, John 1, 1 through 14, are read on Christmas. Why? Because that final verse there from 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The birth of Jesus. Now, theologically and technically, his conception And from that point in time, the eternal Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, became human. Not part human and part God, but 100% human, 100% divine. Don't ask me to explain it. I told you this is not going to be easy, but it's true. So Jesus, the God-man, wasn't at the beginning of time, creation, but the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, was. But come Christmas, now the God-man, Jesus, is forever 100% God, 100% human until eternity. Understand? Pretty clear, right? So, we have these words, again, those words of Jesus when he says, and I'm going to ask you to say these with me. We're going to see these a few times. It's pretty simple. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Well, before we get into the details of where that name came from, Part of this discourse that you heard in the Gospel of John chapter 8 makes me think of something that is, I think, still being used quite a bit, and it can be indeed a wonderful spiritual exercise, and that is to make use of these four letters, WWJD. What does that stand for? Oh, you are a bright, you're awake. That's what I like even better. What would Jesus do? If you've used this in your life, wonderful and good. It's a great way for us to think about before we perhaps take an action or make a decision to say, hey, what does Jesus want? What would he do? How do we model our lives after Jesus that is very godly and appropriate for us Christians to do? Unfortunately, just as is the case with many good things. By the way, that was, as far as I understand, that was, quote, created by a youth worker out on the East Coast who had come up with those four letters and had little bracelets made and so forth, and and it became very, very popular in the mid, early to mid-90s. But anyway, something good, of course, because of our sinful human nature, we have a tendency to, well to use it in ways that may not be godly. I would imagine at some point you have heard somebody use the letters WWJD as if to accuse, 
as if to prove their particular perspective, especially it seems when it comes to issues of, that are social nature or politically correct type of positions. And it sometimes can be used to say, WWJD Christians, what would Jesus do? And the implication seems to be that it's clear to everyone what Jesus would do. And if you don't agree with that assumption, then you may be viewed as being intolerant or difficult. Perhaps you've used those words or those letters in the same way. How do we know ultimately what would Jesus do? In some cases, it's pretty clear where God's word speaks what Jesus has commanded and taught. But in other cases, I'm not so sure it's clear. Did you notice in this conversation that it got a little bit heated in John chapter 8? Now granted, we start this particular section of scripture, begins at about verse 31. You might remember these words where Jesus says, it says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the phrase, the Jews, was used there specifically of those that believed in Jesus, that he was the Christ. But apparently in the course of this conversation, as John records it, those who were the Jews that didn't believe in Jesus, that challenged him, in fact, would reject him, apparently their voices started to be the ones that came out the loudest, because by the section that we read today, well, Jesus flat out called them liars. Does that fit in with what would Jesus do? Calling somebody a liar? Would you have come up with that? I know Jesus would have called them a liar. So I'm going to call you a liar. No, that's not how it works. But would we imagine that Jesus, out of love would call somebody a liar? That he would stand up to somebody who had a wrong understanding of God's word and who God himself was? In fact, previous Jesus calls these Jews sons of the devil. Believe that? You can look it up. He says, your father is the devil and you dishonor the true God. How bold of Jesus I'm not sure that fits in with those of us who want to use WWJD to accuse other people of not doing what we want. Who would have thought that Jesus, who is true love, the very Son of God, eternal, would indicate to somebody that they are sons and daughters of the devil and are liars? The reason I point this out is because we need to be mindful that Scripture is our ultimate authority. And so some have found that maybe to change those letters, to change the question from what would Jesus do, maybe it's more appropriate to go with something like, what did Jesus do? W-D-J-D. But ultimately, the words are meant to really lead us to what I think is this analogy or letters, D-W-J-D, do what Jesus did. 
Because there we can go to the definitive of what Jesus did. Are you able to do that, by the way? Can you do what Jesus did? No, I'm not talking about calling somebody a liar, because you've probably done that, and it may or may not have been right. But can you do what Jesus did? Can you love your neighbor with everything that you have, even those who are your enemies, those who persecute you, those who treat you wrongly? Can you do that? Can you genuinely be wronged and not have to retaliate and revenge and say, I need justice. You wronged me and you need to pay. Can we be like the lamb that is led to the slaughter and not open up our mouth? Can you lay down your life? Not just for your friends, but for your enemies. I dare say I cannot. Whether it's what would Jesus do, I certainly am not able to determine it always, and I don't follow through. As a far as to can I do what Jesus did, ultimately, no. You see, the law, which is what that is, either leads us to self-righteousness that says, ha, I know what Jesus did and you're not doing it, or it leads us to despair. Holy, holy, holy is a wonderful Trinitarian phrase and hymn. You might recall that's from Isaiah chapter 6, the call of Isaiah. He goes into the throne room of God and sees the angels, the cherubim and seraphim, flying back and forth, calling holy, holy, holy. And he sees the, the almighty God before him. And what does he do? He falls down and says, woe is me. I am ruined. I cannot be in this place because this place is holy. And I am a man of unclean lips. You see, that's the proper use of God's law to ultimately lead us to despair, to say, I cannot do what Jesus did. I am ruined. The Almighty God deserves to punish me. But thanks be to God, that brings us to a point where then we can hear what the true triune God has to say to us. And here we come back to the words of Jesus. Jesus said to him, is it on the screen? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You probably know where that came from, the, word, the phrase, I am. You have to go back to another Old Testament section, Genesis, um, or, excuse me, Exodus chapter 3. And you may recall when God called Moses to lead the people out of 400 plus years in slavery in Egypt that he said, Moses, he called him through the burning bush. Remember that account? And, and Moses comes near and God speaks to him and says, Moses, I want you to go. He was hesitant. He asked questions that I think he was trying to get out of it and defer and say, send someone else. But one of the questions he asked was, what if they ask me your name? I, I don't know what to tell them. And these are the words that God said. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he continued, say to the people of Israel, 
I am has sent me to you. The divine name of God. I am. Yahweh. And God gave his name with the conditions that said, do not use my name in vain. Do not use it to mean nothing. If you're going to use my name, mean something. And call upon me in prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. In fact, God put some penalties on those who would misuse his name, especially if they attribute it to themselves, namely like a a false prophet, a false god. He, in fact, said that anyone does that, they are deserving death. They should be put to death. So keep that in mind. Anybody that would use God's name in that way should be put to death. So now we have Jesus saying those words. But this isn't the only place in John where he says, I am. He says it in a number of different places. We sometimes refer to them as the I am sayings of Jesus, and the Gospel of John records them. I think you are familiar with them, and you'll see how smart you really are. You know, after Jesus fed the 5,000, with fish and bread. Do you remember what he said in John 6, 35? I am the bread of life. After he healed a blind man who was walking in darkness in John chapter 8 and then chapter 9, what did he say? I am the light of the world. And then in John chapter 10, if the sheep cannot enter through this, they can't get into the pen. Do you remember what Jesus said? I am the door or the gate. And then maybe one of the most familiar I am statements of Jesus, bringing back to mind Psalm 23, of course, and including sheep saying, I am the good shepherd, of course. And then we move on to John chapter 11, where Jesus was talking with Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who had died, and Jesus was about to raise him from the dead. What did he say at that point? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then on the night when he was going to be betrayed, he was telling his disciples, I'm going to go away, but you know where I'm going and the way to the place. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And what did Jesus say to him? Boy, this mic seems to be coming in and out. I'm not sure if there's a short or something, but I am the way and the... And finally, one more where Jesus talked about being, you and I being the branches and he is the vine. Now, whether or not Jesus was making use of the divine name of God in exactly that way as he does in chapter eight where we're looking, I'm not smart enough to know. There's been debates and so forth. But I wouldn't be surprised because he always claimed to be true God. And so, we again come to his words. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Well, how did they receive that? Not well. (laughs) Not well was set up here in the front. 
Yeah. Did you catch this at the end of the gospel lesson? They picked up stones. They were going to kill him. As God commanded them to kill anybody who would claim to be God but wasn't. Obviously, one little problem. Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is the great I am. And so we're told that Jesus hid himself and left the temple. The time was not right. So how is it that we... Oh, I'm hitting the blackout button, Dan. You told me it was going to black out. Or am I supposed to black out with that? Oh, good. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> you already saw the... How do we respond? I think sometimes in our sinful nature, we hear that Jesus claims to be God, that he's got all the answers, that he can actually tell us how we're supposed to live, that he can refer to his holy word and say, here it is. This is how you're supposed to live. This is how you're supposed to think. And we take exception with that and say, oh, no, no, Jesus, you're wrong. We understand it differently today. This is how we understand it. And in fact, Jesus, you're not welcome here. Do we, in so many words, pick up stones and say, get out of here, Jesus, you're no true God, God forbid. By God's grace, we respond as did Abraham. As Jesus said, I hit the unblackout, I thought, but as it says, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. So I don't care whether you can understand ultimately the Trinity and the, the divine nature of Christ and the eternal process and how Christ was present but Jesus wasn't until Christmas and so forth and so on. What ultimately matters is that we have come into the presence of the great I am and he grants us his grace and forgiveness and love. And we can respond in action, in repentance, and yes, with rejoicing. And ultimately, when God says, who will go for me? Who's going to work? Who's going to respond to my call? We, like Isaiah, can respond, here I am. Send me. In Jesus' name. Amen.